Welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myalis, and in this podcast, we ponder anew the ancient stories of Scripture and what they might mean for our time and our place today. And this season, we've been considering the book of Acts and reflecting on the early church community and really the joy and, and what it looks like to be in community. And this week, we're going to get a glimpse at the ideal community in the New Testament as it's laid out in Acts 2. It's right as the church is born, and, and this community is so um, so beautiful and so ideal that it continues to both haunt, challenge, inspire uh, so many things to, to us today. And I think hopefully we can get a sense as we ponder together of the miracle that it was and then it remains for uh, us as Christians to be in community together. I ended up producing more content than I could squeeze into one episode. So I sort of made an addendum for us of how we measure the health of a community. Um, but I'll save that again for the addendum. For now, we'll get started considering the joy of community. Peter ends his sermon on Pentecost, and then this is how it unfolds. Peter, Peter finishes, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone is filled with awe, and many wonders and the miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he or she had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. A beautiful passage here of community, uh, such sharing, and it just the word love isn't used, but it just permeates the whole thing. I'd like to suggest that the gift that Peter talks about, the gift of the Holy Spirit, really comes to us as community. I think the Christian community in particular is a miracle in itself and a tremendous gift. And it's no coincidence that the community in the New Testament is kicked off with the proclamation that Jesus Christ was crucified for your sins and then risen from the dead. Again, it is no coincidence that it is the proclamation of forgiveness that kicks off the church and allows for community. Fundamentally, there are two challenges to community. The first is human sin. We make mistakes. We have pride, vanity, lust, 
greed, envy, all of these things, insecurities, they get in our way and we can become toxic both to ourselves and to other people. And this obviously gets in the way of community, of life together. And so if we're going to be in community for months, years, decades, a lifetime, we will eventually need to learn how to forgive. My sense is that the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has given us can open our hearts, not only to forgive ourselves, but to forgive other people. I'm curious, in your experience, when have you, in in a community, needed there to be forgiveness? When did forgiveness allow a community you were a part of to move on, to have another chapter? When did the community that you were a part of need to forgive you? And when did you significantly need to forgive others, if not the whole of the community? Again, one of the fundamental challenges to community is the need to overcome sin that again and again permeates our relationships and this constant need for forgiveness that comes to us through God and that then both through the Spirit and also through our own disrecognition of this is the right thing, we learn how to forgive each other. The second challenge within community is that people are different. And this happens in an office team where maybe you have some people that are more detail-oriented or more introverted or extroverted, so forth. Yeah, people have sort of different senses of, of culture, of what's rude, of what's polite, of work ethic, and so forth. I mean, this is a challenge in itself. For the early church, though, I mean, Pentecost, again, you have people from all around the world. And you also have this sense, even Peter says, this promise is for you and your children and for those who are far off for as many as God will call. The early church was this incredibly diverse, uh, cosmopolitan corporation. What allowed it to extend beyond national or tribal or other boundaries? Well, the forgiveness that comes to us from God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is that which allows us to say that all of us as humans fundamentally are on the same side of a divide, and that divide is all those who have broken God's will in their life, all of those who have fallen short on one side and the one who is perfect on the other, and that one who is without sin is Jesus, who has chosen instead to cross that boundary for us and to make us one, no longer in guilt or in fear or in shame, but in hope and in love. The early Christian church, I believe, through the common confession of Jesus Christ, found a common ground to stand on. And so it is not coincidental that the early church, which this beautiful outpouring of love and faith and hope that they are having here, that we see this almost, again, idealized community in Acts chapter 2, does not start with some ode to love. It does not start with some philosophical treatise on ethics. It does not start with just some comeuppance or some grand try a little bit harder, people, or let's all get along and sing kumbaya. It rather comes with a declaration that they had a part in the crucifixion of Jesus, but that God has chosen over and against that to still love them. 
So again, the, the forgiveness of sins just opens itself up right away in the book of Acts to the community, to life together. Perhaps just a reflection, what has been the community that you have been a part of that has had the most sort of diversity or differences among people? And what has it been that has allowed you to sort of overcome those? What has sort of been your, well, we have this in common sort of thing? Um, And have you ever been a part of a community of faith in which that sense of God's love for all people as well as every person's need for God's grace in their life has allowed you to sort of transcend some of those uh, uh, barriers that exist. It is a beautiful thing to be a part of such a community or such a worshiping experience. Um, But again, I just would invite you to offer and reflect on if you've had that experience. The second thing that I want to draw our attention to especially as uh, likely if you're listening to this Americans, is the way in which the people are sharing all that they have. Almost every time I read this passage with Americans, somebody kind of balks at that. Like, yeah, that can't be true. Like the speaking in tongues, (laughs) the miracles that are being done, uh, all the things we talked about last week, those are plausible. But the fact that people actually shared what they had, that seems inconceivable. So ingrained in us is the notion of private property. In fact, you know, the original Declaration of Independence, uh, Jefferson wrote life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. But somebody said that sounds too crass. So he wrote the pursuit of happiness. But again, we have a strong sense of, of um, both individual rights, individual freedoms, but also, again, private property. I'd I'd like to offer that not every culture in the world uh, has the same sense of private property. For instance, in the the German constitution, one of the uh, lines is eigentum verpflichtet, which means that property comes with responsibility. And I'd been to Germany, and I noticed a little bit more of a communal ethic there. But then when I went to Tanzania, I was introduced to a fundamentally a communal-oriented people. And part of it, again, is just the way the culture has been there. And I think part of it is also just the general level of poverty. And the general level of poverty means that everybody has some stuff that they need for life, but not everything. In middle class, upper middle class America, certainly upper class America, your goal is to sort of be independent based on your stuff. Like you don't need your neighbor's cell phone or TV or car or refrigerator or whatever else because you have all that you need, right? Sort of a a level of self-sufficiency. But it turns out that for most uh, people in human experience, they have not had the ability to have enough stuff to sort of survive on their own. And they have needed to live with a far deeper sense of communal property because um, what what I, I have you may need tomorrow what you have, I may need tomorrow. And at one point in Tanzania, we had to walk to the market every day. And it was a pretty far walk. And the road was not very good. I mean, what they called a road in that part of Tanzania, we would have called, you know, an off-road sort of adventure bike course. But uh, this guy came up and he said to me, do you want, do you want to ride to the market? I had never met him. He didn't have a helmet. I didn't even know if he was with the school we were staying with. Like, 
There was nothing about the situation that suggested that it was so safe or good. But I said, sure. <laughs> and I rode down the hill on the back of his bumpity bump uh, ride. And at the end, I felt kind of proud and I was really thankful. But I kind of wondered, well, maybe he did this just because I was a foreigner. Maybe he even expected something from me. Or maybe this was out of uh, more nobly hospitality. Maybe he's with the school and thought, heard that I, they had guests. And so he wanted to be nice to me because the previous guests, you know, have all been, uh, you know, donors of the whatever. I, I had no idea what was going on. But what I did was I began to notice after that my eyes were opened and I saw that everybody on a motorbike was always carrying somebody else. And in fact, at one point, this one woman even chased down a young man who I don't think she knew and was like, I need a ride. And it was just fascinating to see how in this, again, part of the world in which nobody had enough for them to survive on, but they had something, everybody had something to give. And so there was just a, a much deeper sense of, of communal sharing. So I'd, again, I'd, I'd like to offer that the, the way in which... Um, we typically as Americans understand property to be to have such a private property notion is a little bit not only unusual for uh, the 21st century, but especially I think would have been unusual sort of historically the way that most humans have had to live with, within a community. But nonetheless, it still serves as an inspiration and a challenge for us to think about the extent to which we really take serious fellowship and typically, community for Americans means sort of I have most of my base needs met in life, and, and now I maybe have an emotional or a spiritual need, and like this group can help me. Like friendship is supposed to sort of be two people that sort of have their acts together and can sort of, you know, sort of uh, have fun together. But I think, again, in most of the rest of the human experience, it's been a sense of fundamentally we, we need each other. Um, to sort of survive uh, in, this, in this life. And certainly, again, within the Christian community, this level of sharing that's on display challenges us to, again, say, how am I being generous? What am I sharing? What am I withholding from other people? Um, what gifts has God given me for the benefit or potential blessing of other people? And so that's maybe a question that I would have for you. Um, when have you been a part of a community that truly celebrates and embraces generosity? Uh, what in your own life has encouraged you or spurred you on to sort of to live a life that really is a sensing that what you have is there for other people? I think all of us will slip back and forget this. So maybe what reminds you? What inspires you to uh, live generously, to, again, have a sense that what you have is a gift from God that is yours, not for yourself, but to be used and shared with others. Which I realize that every stewardship sermon I've ever will give is some variant of that, like what we have as a gift from God to be used for others. And I really feel if I said that to Tanzanians, they would kind of look at me and like, well, what was the alternative hypothesis? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so again, that's a part of the story that I think is challenging that we should be encouraged by and inspired by and convicted of as well. Okay, the third thing that I, I want to go uh, and, and reflect on a little bit is that uh, if you notice, uh, wh where is the church? 
in this? Well, there is a time when they're in the temple, but they're also in their homes. And then Luke says that they're sort of, you know, in the community and they have the goodwill of all the people. They're here, there, and everywhere. There isn't a fine line saying, okay, this is when these people are churchy, and this is the place they go where they're churchy people. In, in other words, most of us would define church as a building, like start to look at your drawing now, right? We, we think of it as a place. But in the New Testament, the word church, when it's used, ecclesia, never once refers to a, a place. And if it does, it <laughs> refers to sort of the heavenly uh, Jerusalem, the new kingdom that, that God is bringing about. Um, it, but it refers again to uh, the people, the people who have this common confession of Christ and whom Christ is dwelling in them, and, and that uh, they are here, there, and everywhere. So there really isn't a sense of, of going to church. That construction is never used in the, the New Testament. Um, we are the church. We live as the church. We suffer as the church. We, we do this uh, together. So um, just a real challenge for, for us in our faith to what extent are we perceived by others and do we even perceive ourselves uh, that the church is a place where we go rather than a people whom uh, we are called to be having um, heard the word, having heard the word and our hearts are set on fire. Um, for those that are hardcore Lutheran that are listening to this, I realize I'm deviating a bit from uh, Augsburg Article 7 on this point. <laughs> but, but again, I, I think it's just what I'm really trying to focus away from is um, the, the place here and more to God's activity among a group of people, which can be here, there, or anywhere, wherever the word is being proclaimed uh, the bread is being broken. People are being baptized. Sins are being forgiven. People are um, rejoicing with one another, bearing one another's burdens, and uh, seeking then to live as Christ's disciples uh, in this world. So again, when you've been a part of a community, have you... Um, well, yeah, so I think we've, we've asked some questions there reflecting on sort of the, the definition of church. And again, I invite you to go back to your drawing and think, what might I need to add based on Acts chapter 2 to my drawing to make it look more like the New Testament church. Okay. Well, I want to conclude then today with a sort of a, a reflection on Acts chapter 2 versus our church today. And I think it's, in some ways, it's easy to find some connection. A lot of this churchy stuff they do in Acts 2, we still do today. Uh, and it's also easy to find some sort of disjunction, and I've sort of highlighted potentially some of those, um, sort of a way in which we fall short of this idealized community. But, but I, what I'd like to, to think about, and this is something within any kind of community, how do we measure the health of a community? How do we um, measure sort of, if I'm part of a church, how, how far we are along on our journey towards becoming a church like Acts 2, which again for me is, is probably my model, my, my, one of my deep resonant points, also with Isaiah chapter 2, of, of what the church is, is really called it uh, to be. 
it would be way too long of a podcast to keep going and really think about how we measure. So that's going to sort of be a part B of today, like an extra little addendum if you want to think about how you measure the health of a community. But for now, we'll say a prayer together. Holy Spirit, you have come into this world and into our lives, offering forgiveness that makes community possible. We thank you for the miracle of kinship with other people in spite of ourselves, in spite of our differences, that allows us to a deep sharing, a sharing of of gifts, of time, of bread, even of our property and our money. May we continue to be inspired by your generosity that we might live as your disciples in community, in our homes, in the church, and in the entire community in which you have placed us. This we pray through Jesus. Amen.